0: I don't know if you've heard of the wolf-pug
1: meme. There's two photographs in the top frame. There's a picture of a wolf and there's a little thought bubble coming from the wolf and it says, uh, hmm, humans at a campfire, it's cold and I'm starving. Maybe I should ask for some scraps. What's the worst thing that could happen? And then the bottom frame, you have it, it says with a caption, 10,000 years later, and you see a picture of a, of a pug looking forlorn and the pug is wearing uh, a knitted birthday cake. <laughs> what could go wrong?
0: Neil Sandel was always going to love the wolf pug meme. Firstly, he's got a big place in his heart for pugs, having lived with four of them.
1: It made me laugh and I thought, perfect, perfect. But it did make me think, actually, what, what did happen? Uh, how much of that is true.
0: Yeah, because the premise of the meme is that there was a sort of a sliding doors moment, a time when the majestic wolf of prehistory sat down with people, thereby sealing its fate as a lapdog. Anyway, this meme sparked an idea for Neil.
1: I've done other documentaries about the, the deep past, uh, so what could go wrong investigating uh, the invention of the dog?
0: Hello, I'm Michelle Ransom-Hughes and your hearing journalist, Neil Sandel. This episode of Oh My Dog is the story of Neil, Sadie and the wolves. Sadie's the dog who lives with Neil, and the wolves, they're Sadie's distant ancestors. They all feature in Neil's latest radio documentary, which I'll get Neil to introduce for you. Uh,
1: It's Entre Chien et Lou, with a subtitle, How Dogs Began. So, Chien et Lou, How Dogs Began.
0: Thanks, Neil. You'll want to listen to that when you've finished here. It's super interesting science and social history. But back to our story. Neil is from Canada, where he had a long and distinguished career at the CBC as a radio journalist. And several years ago, he and his wife packed up and moved to Nice in France. They'd been dreaming of doing this for the longest time, and, in the end, it was their two dogs who made it happen
1: pugs don 't fly because they they have breathing problems, so you cannot get a uh, you cannot fly even from one city in Canada to the next, much less from Canada to Europe with pugs. I quickly learned that the only way to get your dogs over uh, would be by ship, and the only ship was the queen Mary too so Getting kennel space on the Queen Mary two was like winning a lottery. Uh, they, they, I got an email one day and said, "Would you be interested in traveling in uh, ten months?" It was like now or never.
0: Despite boarding an ocean liner with his pugs, Neil hasn't always been a dog person.
1: You know what? It. it um, my wife is very much a, a, an animal person, and I like animals, but I it took. She had to work on me a little bit. And now that now that we're, I'm on my fifth dog in my life, I mean, I can't imagine not living with, with dogs. OK, let's get this dog chronology straight. Yeah, so we had uh, a pair of pugs who we adopted from another family who didn't want them anymore. Uh, they died. Then after a time, we got a new generation of pugs. Uh, one as a puppy and one adopted; those are the two dogs that we brought to to France. And then when they died, which uh, they they died uh, within about ten months of each other, they were the same age, so we were bereft. And after our period of mourning, um, we went looking for a dog, and we didn't think we were going to uh, look for. A dog like Sadie, we we were just ready to go to a refuge, a a dog shelter, and pick up a mutt.
0: Which they did do, driving about four hours to visit a shelter dog they'd seen online. But when they got there, that dog just wasn't for them.
1: But then, as, you know, the cliché goes, uh, Sadie found us, and we uh, fell in love with her, and uh, it was kind of remarkable what a great dog she is, considering that you know, she was an abandoned dog.
0: Tell me about Sadie. What sort of dog is she?
1: Sadie is a wire-haired dachshund. Long and low, like all dachshunds. Big snout. Uh, but she has this really messy hair, so she totally looks like an unmade bed. Uh, she, she's always tousled. And um, she has a great disposition uh very friendly, very cuddly, not yappy. some Texans can be yappy uh and she's really an all weather dog she's amazing, you know if it's raining out she's gung ho I do not care let's go out outdoor she's uh, uh becomes a hunter they were trained as uh the breed was trained as uh badger hunters. Heaps of badgers around nice. She goes for pigeons and for cats. (laughs) And in like in a country trail she's absolutely wired. It's fabulous to see. It's fascinating to see her nose is going every which way. She's like completely zoned in. We all know how um How heightened dogs are, in general, to smells. Um, And she's a scent hound, so she, it's like super stimulating. When she comes back from that kind of a walk, she is exhausted, even though she hasn't actually done a lot of walking. It's actually a joy to see her in that environment. And uh, here's my little dog right now, uh, looking for some attention. Um, Sadie what sort of colouring does she have well in French it would be, they would say charbon she's very dark and mottled though her face has a bit of flecks of of red as I'm looking at her lying on the floor so she has kind of a long snout big clown nose Um, her hair flops over her eyes big ears Uh, yeah long and low my wife and I talk about her as being a, a kind of a stretch limousine.
0: <laughs> and does she does she spread her affections between you both?
1: Oh yeah, I mean she's she's a, a bit of a slut. Who, who whoever has uh, belly rubs and who and mostly whoever has food. Yeah.
0: And is she bilingual?
1: <laughs> I think so. <laughs> I think so. She's learned English. Um, you know, um, from what I understand about dog behavior, mostly, uh, I mean, they'll respond to some commands, but mostly they're responding to tone of voice. Uh, the The other interesting thing is that uh, um, she'll respond to uh, just a little kind of click that you would often use if you were riding a horse, like, that'll call her. You know, one of the things about her is that we know nothing about her background. Like, how did this wonderful dog land up in a shelter at the age of four? Like, she wasn't chipped. She, uh, there was no story of somebody delivering her. She was just there. That is one of the mysteries of, of our girl Sadie. Our best theories is that she was a hunting dog and she got lost.
0: It'd be almost impossible not to try and imagine the life your dog had before they came to you. I discovered that Neil and his wife sometimes take this
1: to the extreme. One of our previous dogs, Lola, a black pug, um, had a really precocious, um, lovely personality, really mischievous. And one day we were walking around the streets and uh, we came across a fashion boutique by the name of Lola. After that, we just ended up spinning out this um, fantasy that Lola was... Our Lola owned that shop, and that she was an international fashion expert, and which then begat more fantasies, and more imaginary life. The imaginary of the imaginary life of Lola was, was that she was an international businesswoman that had had a yacht in Monaco, which was very close, and and that uh, she'd fallen on hard times because she'd lost her Bitcoin password, and <laughs> all of this stuff. And, uh, anyhow, yeah, we, we kind of love doing that.
0: All right, let's put Lola aside because it wasn't Lola. It was Sadie. Neil's adopted Daxand that led him to this much bigger question of canid evolution, the question of when did wolves become dogs.
1: Yeah, it was a collision of, of two things. Because I was curious about Sadie's origin stories and there was nothing, I came to this realisation, we know more or I know more about the origins of dogs than of my particular dog. And I I love origin stories. And then there's there's this internet meme. That's the wolf pug meme, right? Referencing this popular idea that back in
0: prehistory... Ancient wolves found a place by human campfires and from there were domesticated by humans to become the dogs we know and love today.
1: I, you know, I love thinking about prehistory because it's so long. You know, the, thinking in terms of what happened ten thousand years ago or twenty thousand years ago—I mean, this is a, a gulf of time that I can't even get my head around. And yet, uh, it's it's it still comes alive when you find somebody to talk about it.
0: So that's what Neil did. He tracked down passionate biologists and archaeologists and other scientists from around the world who all work in this space between the dog and the wolf. One thing that's clear and actually exciting about this field of research is that it's full of wildly different theories. But Neil tells me two central facts are broadly agreed upon. One, dogs did evolve from ancient wolves. And two, dogs were the first domesticated animals. So what then is the biggest, most contentious question in
1: all of this? when domestication happened it's con- yeah it's highly contested because there and it depends on what how you what you look for in terms of evidence so there are people who say look I have this uh, jawbone I think it's a dog other people say no it maybe it's just a variation on the wolf no but my and the other people say no that this bone I'm for sure for sure for sure for sure it's a dog the problem with that is that if evolution takes place on a continuum over thousands of years, if you say that is a dog, this is where dogs began, then it forces you to define exactly what a dog is. And um, so the when is highly disputed. The where, scientists are zoning in on that. When they're looking for evidence, they being the scientists... Uh, the, the first line of evidence is uh, archaeological, old bones that have been dug up. Then the next line of evidence is uh, genetics. Um, they also do something called isotope analysis, which is remarkable to me, where they, they look at, they can figure out what an animal was eating and then see um, parallels. So... I mean, once you start getting pictures of dogs depicted in art, then that's real solid evidence. Go further back in time, once you start seeing dog burials where people are being, dogs are being buried with people, um, uh, that's pretty firm evidence that uh, there's this animal that was cared for, that was valued, that was personified. That's a dog. I think most people in the field would agree that uh, there's a specimen that was found in Germany that stated 15,000 years ago. That's a dog. They also say there's no evidence of dogs 40,000 years ago. So you have this long period of in-between that there may or may not have been dogs or there were half-dog, half-wolves. We don't know. I mean, some people say they know, but we don't know for sure. It's disputed. Tens of
0: thousands of years of this in-between, of half dogs, half wolves. It's a tantalising question. When did dogs begin? You know that beautiful time of the evening, some people call the blue hour, when trees and buildings all transform in moments and everything is redrawn in silhouette? The French have an expression for this.
1: Yeah, entre chien et loup. Um, well, literally, it translates from French to English uh, between uh, dog and wolf. And and the expression in French means twilight. Uh, but to me, it has a more metaphorical meaning of uh, that in-between time when things are uncertain, when you don't really know. And uh, I just thought it was a perfect way of describing this, this uncertain time period before dogs and after dogs, right? I mean, entomologists think the expression comes from that time of day where if you were to see a dog and a wolf, you might not be able to distinguish them, you know, assuming the dog is not a chihuahua. The, the other thing that is, is, uh, people are very curious about is where. Where were the first dogs? There's a, a site in Lake Baikal in Siberia, which is uh, being investigated It's uh, uh, by archaeologists for, for many, many years. And that region is thought to be where dogs started, but we don't know. We can't say for sure, but but that's when when you hear scientists um, talk about Eurasia, they're, they're probably talking about that rough region. There, there are three theories of how dogs evolved from wolves and how dogs became domesticated. Uh, for a long time, the the, the notion was that there are um, uh, that that we domesticated uh, dogs. That either we developed a hunting partnership with wolves, and they eventually became part of the family, or we uh, we prehistoric people kidnapped wolf pups and then bred them and made took the tame ones and bred them, and eventually you get a dog. You know, so Catherine Lord is um, an evolutionary biologist, and she's done her research into the differences between dogs and wolves in, like, the first six weeks of life. So she has hand-raised something like 42 wolves as pups, which is, to me, is mind-blowing. That's a lot of litters. That's over, um, putting a long, you know, more than a decade of research. The gist of what she told me is that wolves, young wolves, insist on being fed every four hours, and when she's doing it, she's doing it by the bottle. Um, but, of course, uh, a mother wolf would, uh, uh, the, dog, the, the the pups would suckle on the wolf mum but anyhow so Catherine Lord was telling me that uh, you know when you're raising pups you are actually living with the pups uh, you know in the same room essentially and if you fall asleep when they want to when they're hungry and want to be fed and want the bottle they'll, they'll come up to you and kind of snuffle into your ear and if it doesn't wake you up that's like biting your ear <laughs> <laughs> she said, you get pierced ears if you don't pay attention. Catherine Lord thinks that the idea of raising wolf puppies as a prehistoric hunter-gatherer is completely impractical. How do you contain these baby wolves? How do you feed them? How Once they grow up, how do you keep them in the settlement when they want to go to mate? How do you mate them with other animals, because how do you force wolves to mate, and then how do you find wolves who are tame to mate them with? So she thinks it's pretty impractical. And so the the more simple view of how domestication happened is that wolves start hanging around human settlements, uh, scavenging off human refuse. And uh, gradually um, getting habituated to this, to this uh, human niche, uh, and uh, slowly changing over time to become less like wolves and, uh, in that they were not hunters, beca- they became scavengers. And gradually, that's how domestication help ha- happened. Self-domestication is, is the notion.
0: Self-domestication. So this theory centres the wolf in its evolution instead of the human?
1: Yes, absolutely. Um, The other thing is, if you think that humans set out to domesticate a dog, it assumes that humans had this vision of what a dog could be. So how do you know that you want a dog when there's never been a dog? That is a real leap of imagination. Um, so more, for me, the more plausible explanation is these wolves over centuries and millennia became used to hanging around human settlement, became tamer, uh, became more dependent on humans. And then at certain point, humans see that these animals could actually be useful to them and that's when the co-evolution starts happening. That's when you get humans making use of these animals either as guard dogs and sentries or hauling things as, like, sledge dogs uh, or hunting, helping them hunt, flushing out game from, from, the, from the woods or the, the bush. Um, sweeping floors with their tails. Yeah, sweeping floors with their tails, exactly. Helping you with that spare piece of pizza that you didn't want.
0: To make his documentary, Neil found so many researchers out there trying to unpuzzle the evolution of dogs. Many of them are taking really creative angles, including listening to the animals' voices.
1: Of all of the um, canid species, dogs, as opposed to coyotes or wolves or others, um, dogs have the most different kinds of barks. And it's thought that barking evolved uh, fairly early. It's also understood that humans have, are extremely sensitive to barking. Just the same sensitivity that uh, humans have to babies crying. So you would think that, you think in terms of evolution, Humans would be hardwired to be sensitive to a baby crying in their midst because it's a matter of survival. You want to take care of the baby. Dog barking does the same thing to humans, and I'm sure at a hormonal level. So when do dogs, when do these village dogs, these early dogs who are hanging around human settlements bark probably when a stranger or a strange thing or danger is approaching. So this is the theory. These dogs that are not yet part of the community are acting inadvertently as sentries. They may not be warning humans that somebody or something is coming that's dangerous. They may be doing it strictly territorially. Uh, But at some point, humans make this connection this is kind of a co-evolutionary thing. Humans make this connection that a dog barking can be useful to them. It is a sentry. In an environment where there are dangerous predators around, where there's danger lurking, hunter-gatherers are living a precarious existence. And so this idea that this kind of wolf, but actually maybe a dog Is of use is like the beginning of something really really important there's this notion in archaeology that you can trace the development of humankind through its use of tools you know whether it's a spearhead or whatever it's it's an indicator and so the use of an animal as a kind of biological tool and that animal being dog is hugely significant because it, dog domestication took place before millennia before the domestication of any other animal, whether it was uh, you know beasts of burden like oxen or chickens or, or for that matter, uh, the, the domestication of, of um, crops. Dogs were the first and. There's some very smart people who say this was a gateway event.
0: Look, that all sounds completely plausible, but I'm still not convinced Neil didn't take on this project purely so he could meet a wolf.
1: (laughs) So there's a place in uh, rural Austria, about an hour outside of Vienna, that is like a conservation area, and within that is something called the Wolf Science Centre, and it's been around since 2008, and it's a scientific research center. The uh, founders wanted to have a pack of dogs and a pack of wolves that they could do comparative studies. So, um, like, how do they behave differently? How do they behave the same? These are dogs in captivity, but they are dogs that have a huge amount of area to roam in, uh, in enclosures. So I went there to speak to the scientists uh, and see what they were learning and hear their perspective and And for me, I really wanted to see what a wolf was like, like not on TV, but in person. And that was uh, pretty awesome actually. This wolf was called Nanuk. Uh, from the Yukon, I believe, uh, in Canada, originally. A timber wolf, to be sure. And this is uh, an animal that was hand-raised there as a puppy, a big white wolf. And the person who, the scientist who is giving me the guided tour, had hand-raised this animal. And so when we got to see Nanak, she... she, uh, uh, Frederica Ranga started calling Nanuk, and Nanuk came to her just like a dog would come. And so uh, uh, Frederica Ranga reached her hand through this enclosure, through this kind of uh, wire fence, and started petting <laughs> Nanuk just like you would pet a dog. It was like my jaw was dropping. It was, it was fabulous. It was fabulous, and just caressing this dog's muzzle and excuse, excuse me, caressing this wolf's muzzle like a dog, like I would Sadie at home. It was, uh, you know, just cooing into uh, uh, a wolf's ear, and I said to her, "So, would I be able to do that?" She said, "Oh, I don't think so." <laughs> but this is a, this this is a wolf that knew her from its its various earliest days. And that's the thing about this research centre. All, all of the dogs and all of the wolves are hand raised so that they, they're socialised. It means that the scientists can work with them up close. It also means it's easier to care for them.
0: I wondered how the wolf Nanook's energy compared with what he was used to from dogs.
1: Mm, it was pretty close. it looked really familiar, which in itself was surprising to me because my impression of wolves was wildness. Uh, but this was obviously it was not a wild animal, but uh, um, you know the scientists there uh, uh, it's a familiar question to them, what's the difference between dogs and wolves? And they all said uh, dogs are very dependent. On people and wolves accept you as an equal and are very independent and uh, I mean there are many many more differences but in terms of their attitudes to humans that would be the main thing and and so wolves are still predators and dogs are scavengers um, in their natural state and um, wolves could exist very easily without humans, probably better without humans. Uh, Dogs, not so much.
0: At the centre, in study after study, dogs demonstrate just how different they are from the wolf.
1: Yeah, so one of the things that they are really interested in uh, is how wolves cooperate with one another and how dogs cooperate with one another. There's a a test that I read is used with a lot of different animals, but they have uh, a food reward. And if the dog, two dogs pull the rope at the same time, or two wolves pull the rope at the same time, they'll actually get the food. And wolves cooperate beautifully, and dogs, not so much. Dogs actually don't cooperate with each other very much. So that was one revelation. Wolves. Are hugely cooperative. Dogs are very independent. They don't cooperate. Another thing is levels of aggression. Wolves are not so aggressive with each other. If something's bothering them, uh, they'll escalate the violence very um, in very measured steps. Dogs, they kind of hair trigger in terms of uh, getting angry, and growling, and nipping, that kind of thing.
0: Yeah, the idea of a dog pack is actually a bit of a myth, isn't it?
1: Yeah, wolves survive by living in packs and hunting together and nurturing their young together. They're they're very social animals. Dogs, not so much. Uh, Scientists do study uh, uh, free-ranging dogs, and they'll hang around together, but... It's not like uh, wolves. It's it's a totally different social structure, and it's a, it's a social structure that has changed the way they breed. For example, so wolves uh, breed once every year or every two years when they're in the wild, and um, wolves mate for life. Dogs breed every uh, dogs that are in the wild breed uh, every. I think it's eight months. They're promiscuous. They're very different animals behaviorally, even though they're quite similar genetically, and that's that's really one of the conundrums of of uh, the, the the two species. But what's been lost to dogs through
0: this evolution, or is the wild still there?
1: Mm, I mean, I think we have to be honest and accept that we uh, want our dogs to be well-behaved within certain constraints. On the other hand, uh, it brings me huge joy to see, to take my own dog outdoors and see her in a kind of a, a natural environment, bounding about and be just being herself. Um, but look, dogs are pets. They're, they're, they have the status of, of family members. Uh, and I don't think we can deny that. Um, in the documentary, one of the archaeologists kind of encapsulates our relationship with dogs, uh, going from hunting partners and personified humans um, in prehistoric times, hunter-gatherer times, to kind of the decline of dogs during uh, the agricultural revolution to the re- revival of dogs, um, uh, in modern day. Um, she even goes so far, though she doesn't talk about this in the documentary, she says, you know, they've always been a signifier of our values. And she says, so now the trend of going to a refuge and finding a perfect mutt, a perfect mongrel, and being so proud of that as, you know, as a, 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 an emblem of our values, I mean, that is, that is yet another uh, indicator of um, how dogs are a self expression, um, and you know is that okay? well, it is what it is, I think
0: certainly for Neil, sharing his life in France with Sadie has meant a lot
1: so the you know our dogs the two pugs that we brought with us from Canada across the Atlantic. Uh, we're elderly dogs. By the time they got uh, to France, you know, they're maybe they had two or three years left in their normal life. And when when we lost them, when they died, uh, especially the last one, it was like a last link in the way a last link with home. Obviously, not last link because we have family and friends and uh, a lifetime of of allegiance to Canada. But there was something that was pretty final about losing them. And of course, suddenly, your, your world is quiet. You don't hear the clicking of their feet. You don't hear their vocalizations. Suddenly, the, uh, the dog dish is just sitting there and not needing to be filled. This is a, a particular thing that happens to you as a dog owner when you lose a dog and it's a, a universal thing that happens. And some people take a long time to get over that and some, you know, it's, it's, it's a mourning period for everybody, right? It's proper grief. It's proper grief, absolutely. It's proper grief, and there's... It's Everyone deals with it individually and at their own pace. You have to think about whether you want to get another dog and have another dog, and uh, can you bear losing the next dog that you get? All of those questions, are, they're quite normal and, uh, and and so when we were ready to get another dog uh, and we found Sadie there's that already the, the soil was fertile to fall in love with another animal which we did in a heartbeat. For my wife and I finding Sadie really saved us in a lot of ways. It our life went from a sad song to uh, a wonderful song, so I'll never forget that about her. She's, uh, she's been a, a fabulous dog and um, a very good girl.
0: My sincere thanks to Neil Sandel for sharing your story and research with me. It's been a fun virtual trip to France and deep into the evolutionary twilight zone. Now, I must urge you, dog lovers, to seek out Neil Sandel's documentary.
1: Entre Chier et Lou, How Dogs Began.
0: It's beautifully made and there's so much to absorb and think about. I'll put a link to the documentary at the O oh My Dog website, where you'll also find a photo of gorgeous Sadie and all our other episodes. I'm Michelle Ransom-Hughes. Thank you so much for listening.